there's so much magic. Listen to the, just listen to the music of Alcoholics Anonymous and don't leave. Don't leave because your story has been granted by God to save at least one other person. With it, you have the power to save lives of countless others. The darkest past placed in God's hands is the greatest possession that you have. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Bienvenidos, mi amigos, mi amigas. This is episode 155. This is episode Cientos. 55. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but I think I'm in the area of 155 within the Spanish realm. That was the voice of Mr. Chip B that you heard at the beginning of this episode, and you're going to hear so much more from Mr. Chip B in just a moment. But first things first, this episode right here, right now, at this very moment is brought to you by Jennifer and Penelope and Tanya. Do you know what Jennifer and Penelope and Tanya did? Well, let me fill you in. They went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a, a contribution. Thank you so much, Jennifer and Penelope and Tanya. This episode is coming right out to you. Or should I say, muchas gracias in the theme of how I have been speaking thus far. And as I always say, please Ladies and gentlemen, do not be jealous of my bilinguality. Some, sometime God grants people that sort of talent, and he does not give it to others. But just take a seat. It's okay. It's all right. I, John M., will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings. And I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table and let's get started. My friend, okay, one thing I want to uh, share with you here before I go into Chip B's uh, introduction. By the way, I'm so glad to be with you once again. You're my tribe, you're my people, and it full, it 
fills my heart to be amongst you. Even though this is virtually, it still fills my heart. Chip B references some uh, something uh, on the 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 opening quote he has on this episode, and he also references it during the episode itself. And I'm going to go ahead and read this quote from page 124 of the Big Book, and it says, "Showing others who suffer how we were giving given help is the very thing that makes life seem so worthwhile." to us now. Cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have. The key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. I'll read part of that again. Cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession that you have. The key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. Oh, I just love that so much. Chip B is coming up in just a moment, and we're calling this particular uh, episode, If You Drink Like Me. We're calling it If You Drink Like Me because that's something they said to Chip when he first came in that caught his attention. He sobered up, Chip did, in 1987. And by the way, this is the husband of of the lady that you heard heard during the previous two episodes, she's in Al-Anon, of Miss Angie B. So this is the other half of Miss Angie B, if you will. But he, Chip B, had a military upbringing just like Angie. Chip joined the military himself in 1973. He talks about that. He discusses how his doctor prescribed Xanax, as a cure to alcoholism. And as we all know, generally speaking, that doesn't work out too well. Chip says his, he, he talks about his third Alcoholics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous birthday and how that was a pivotal point in his sobriety and about how when he reached his 28th year in sobriety, how that turned out to be another turning point in Chip's journey. All right, everybody, sit back, enjoy Chip B, and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody, so today we are sitting here with Mr. Chip B from Destin, Florida, and we have had the pleasure of miss having Miss Angie B, uh, his bride, on the podcast as well. And so we're going to have Chip B here today. So Chip, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, give you a sobriety date, if you would please, and uh, then we'll kind of crank it up from there. Hey, everybody, my name is Chip. I'm an alcoholic. And my sobriety date is the 22nd of November, 1987, from Destin, Florida. And my home group is called Busters for Sobriety. And we meet 365 days a year because we need to. So. <laughs> <laughs> what is it called? Busters for Sobriety? Busters for Sobriety, yes. It, was a, it came out of the Busters Oyster Bar. Oh. And, uh, 
So we always had a great big English bulldog with a stein of beer and people would, it was like Disney. People would just want to come to Buster's so they could get a selfie with the beer stein and the, uh, and the bulldog at Buster's. <laughs> That's great. And you meet 365 days a year because we need to, huh? We need to, yes. <laughs> so is that like a clubhouse or is it no, a group? It's now moved. It's, it's a group and it's now moved from the, uh, the place it was in Miramar Beach right down close to the beach house where me and Angie live. So we're at Callahan Steakhouse on Harbor Boulevard. I, if you if you look at the map, I could point to the map right there is where we are. Right. Yeah. He's got a little Angie map. And I, Angie and I live right. Let me get it straight. Angie <laughs> and I live right here. Okay. Yeah. There's a little, if everybody's not watching, <laughs> there's a beach stand. There we are right there. So yeah, we love our little Harbor and Beth and, Beth and Chuck H that were from Cary, North Carolina. just moved right. There, yeah, I moved last week, so we're like home group buddies. Yeah, and I have uh, Chuck H scheduled to be on the podcast in about Woo, uh, a, a month or so. Yes, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that conversation. Why don't you just go ahead? You know, I never know exactly where to start out with people, but why don't you go ahead and tell me how you were raised? You know, uh, what your family life was like growing up, and we'll just start there and kind of meander around from that point. What I like to say is, you know, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous in 1987, I was an alcoholic. But because of the transformative nature of the steps of the uh, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, now I am so much more. (laughs) I am an alcoholic and a loving husband. I'm an alcoholic and a loving son and a loving brother. And, you know, I am an alcoholic first. But that gave me the grace to be anything else I wanted my entire life. I was raised the... uh, the son of a naval officer that used to be enlisted, and he was born in 1928. And in five days, the commander is going to be 92 years old. And my mother just celebrated her 90th birthday. They both live in Jacksonville, right across the river from my sponsor, Jerry. Jerry W. is my sponsor. And his bride, Jerry's got 44 years, and his bride, Jill. And uh, Jill, I call my sponsette because everything, she's English, and she has a crooked little finger. And every time my sponsor tells me something, she'll go, come here. Let me tell you exactly what he means to say. <laughs> so I call her my sponsor. So I did a, you know, I had such a privileged childhood. I, we were not raised with a, with a silver spoon, but my father and mother worked so hard to provide everything that we needed. And then they told me if there's anything that I would want extra, I could just go work for it. And they said, we could point you in the direction of, so I ran newspaper routes and, and I cut grass and I did stuff like that. And, and I, and most of my formative years, I love it when the television called it formative years. My drinking years were in Key West and Cuba. So my dad ended up running Navy hospitals in Key West and also in Cuba, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. So I, that's where I started doing my teenage drinking back. In, if you remember Key West in the sixties, you did not participate. So I get to, I get to to go on Zoom every day of the week at 11 o'clock. I go to Anchors Away Club whenever I, I'm whenever I'm in front of the laptop at that time. And I get to see all my peeps down there in, in Key West because we love going down there every year and visiting. So that's where I was raised, was really in Key West. And um, and that's where my teenage years started in, in drinking. I went back to Cuba again. I graduated high school, William T. Sampson High School in Guantanamo Bay in 1972. And that was I was doing the high school drinking with, uh, we were doing some crazy stuff down there. And, uh, 
I came back to the States. Dad retired in 1973 and started running civilian hospitals. So I ran down to the Met station and I said, Dad, I'm joining the military. And my dad, being a good Navy commander, says, son, he said, the Navy's going to get another good man. I said, Dad, I've been in the Navy 19 years as a dependent, and I'll be danged if I'm going to join the Navy. I'm going Air Force. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, my high school, if you remember high school in the 60s and 70s, everybody had long hair, bell-bottom pants on, wearing the American flag, bandanas. We were like Woodstock, baby, 69. And I had a military-style haircut, and I was pressed and starched and creased. I was the commander's son, and that's uh, what he wanted everybody to think that I was. What an amazing man! What an, he's a mountain man. He always survived a lot. So, I'm married to this wonderful Alanon that many of y'all got to listen to throughout the years. She's 30 years in Alanon, Angie B, and uh, we're coming up on our sixth year of marriage. But, um, I ended up when I joined the military, I uh, that's when my drinking really took off. I joined the military in 1973. Um, October the 23rd on my 19th birthday. And I, uh, that's where I got kind of crazy and that's where I sobered up. I was 14 years in the Air Force when I, when I sobered up in 1987. So it was, uh, strange things were happening to my drinking. And, and back in, back in those days, that it was not that it was a condoned thing, but we were having a lot of cake parties in the hangars, uh, with the chiefs and the colonels, if you know what I mean. And yeah. so, uh, that's where my drinking got kind of wild. And um, I ended up having three trips to the emergency room and it was all for alcohol overdoses. You know, you look back in hindsight where you can see all that stuff. And they, the military said, it's amazing. It was always on a Sunday night. And what we put together was I was trying to stop drinking on Sunday night so I could go put on my military uniform and go to work on Mondays. And it was getting harder and harder to do. But, but I couldn't believe I was an alcoholic because I was 32 years old. I had a successful military career. I was selected for promotion to senior non-commissioned officer. The, the, the world was my oyster. And here I am, locked, you know, on the, on the 26th of April, 1987, they locked me up after the third trip to the emergency room. And they uh, put me in a mental ward and they put me full of Xanax. And, uh, and they said, you're not going to drink anymore and your life's going to become wonderful. Well, as long as the Xanax was coming, my life was okay. But it's when they pulled me off of everything that I found out I didn't have any coping mechanisms. Um, I remember when I went to California in 1989, the Palm Springs Roundup, and, and I met uh, Ray M. And Ray said, I was either drunk, getting drunk or getting off a of drunk. And I'm like, man, I, I can relate to that. That's just, it was my life story. But I couldn't put it together while I was an alcoholic. You know, I had the three children, I had the big house, I had the, the, the two vehicles, I had everything that I thought was successful. What I had was I had a definition of what an alcoholic was, and it was just a wrong perception. Obviously, you know, during that time, you were kind of learning how to, I don't know if you want to say the word, learning how to be an alcoholic, but you were, uh, your, your drinking was escalating. And, you know, obviously it can be more tolerated, or at least back then during the military it was. Did the military, uh, did they put up with it for the most part? Or, I mean, how, how, what was their reaction to it? Well, they were just about as surprised as I was. It's, imagine the colonel, the colonel having to come visit me in the nut ward, and, and he says, he says, Sergeant Powell, we had absolutely no idea. I mean, he was the pitcher, and I was the third baseman. And I'm sitting there with a can of Coors sitting on the bag, and 
we're playing softball every weekend and I'm drinking just like everybody else is drinking from what they could see. What they couldn't see was the after hours mm-hmm. when I was not around them. That was the invisible drinking that I was doing. I did, you know, I kept my mud when, it, when I was around people. I didn't go, I didn't blow away out of proportion. But when I was home, you know, a lot of people say you got to change your playgrounds and your playthings. But when your playground and stuff like that is all, my, most of my bad drinking was done at home. So the, the military had absolutely no idea. Looking back, when they, when they started running, you know, it's like, it's like Bob D says, you connect the dots. Once you start connecting the dots up, that's when you can look back and go, oh, man, they should have run the flag up when that happened. It was, you know, I tell them, I said, these are not wrinkles on my face. This is scar tissue from windshields, high speed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're, you're uh, kind of uh, ramping up your drinking there in the military. You get to the uh, treatment center. Uh, so, and I also want to talk a, bit, a little bit about that Xanax. You said that that was what they kind of... Uh, utilized to stabilize you, I guess, during that treatment. Is that correct? Well, I was in such bad shape on the last trip to the emergency room that they detoxed me in the emergency room with everybody having their flu and the sniffles, you know, and they're watching this alcoholic go through some bad stuff. It was like a circus. So they, what they did was they, they pumped me full of Xanax and then they, they were, de- that's what they detoxed me on. They took me on Xanax uh, for six days, and then they put me on something called Ativan or, or something like that. They had to chemically detox me. I I lost 14 pounds in detox in 10 days, and they said I had liver saturation and all. I was on I was on the cusp of everything starting to really go bad internally on my life. So they brought me down on on the on, and I told them I said you know I'm I'm feeling perfectly fine, and they said Sergeant Balgren, do you realize we give medication every four hours? I said oh yeah. And they said, you're the guy standing at the nurse's desk at three hours and 45 minutes going, it's time. <laughs> I didn't realize that I was coming down. You know, my, I was losing my coping mechanism. So that what they, as long as they were giving me the medication, I was fine. But when I was coming off the medication, what was really going, you know, they said, we need so broke. It's going to get real. It's going to get different. And then it's going to get real different. That's when I learned the bottles were only a symbol. And uh, had to get down the cause of the conditions. All right. So let's talk about getting into recovery. So it sounds like you got into it. So how did you find the meetings and you know, what, 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 uh, what took place after that? The, the Colonel had no problem directing exactly what the rest of my life was going to look like if I wanted to keep my military career. Mm. So he said, Sergeant Bowden, you will do the following. And they gave, they mandated that I go to meetings about Alex Nama. Thank God. And, you know, I was so embarrassed to go to him. So I'm, I get out of the nut ward after 10 days. I sign the document because the colonel says, we can put you in alcohol treatment for 30 days if you think that you absolutely must. I said, oh, no, 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 no. I am done forever. He said, well, good. We're going to make sure you're done forever. So they gave me a checklist. And the first thing on the checklist was I had to go to a minimum of two meetings a week. Then I had to go to anger management. Believe me, before Jack Nicholson. I had to go to anger management <laughs> and then I had to go to family counseling. Can you believe it? They thought I had a problem with anger and family. And then I had to go to alcohol therapy, the mental health counseling therapy outpatient. They gave me a complete checklist of things that I had to do if I would like to keep the rest of my military career and retire. So I had no problem towing the line because I had a guillotine hanging over top of me. 
So I walked in as embarrassed as I could with this white piece of paper and everybody talking about, oh, court card, he's a court card guy. No, I'm a military card guy. And I just wanted to be different. <laughs> so, yeah, so they made sure that I found the meetings in District 14, Area 1, Alabama, Northwest Florida. So, so did they have... Okay, so you're hanging out with a bunch of guys who are drinking. Is there anybody else that's going to treatment except for yourself? Absolutely not. I was the I was the token poster child to go. I said, you know, they, these guys they all drank the way that I drank. They ran. They ran like somebody dropped a smoke bomb in the middle of the pile. Going, oh my God, we drank just like him. And if he is, <gasps> yeah, self-diagnosed, go. So I didn't have any problems trying to to fend off my friends, they all just exploded out of my way. And off I went to A&A. And so how did your superiors know about Alcoholics Anonymous? Do you know? They didn't. The social actions, people, they called it social actions at that time. They had the outpatient. And the, and, and remember, this is, this is in the 80s. Now, in the, in the 1970s, we really didn't have any type of, number one, they had a thing called race relations, which turned out to be human relations, which turned out to be, they also had a thing called alcohol uh, awareness. So they would give alcohol awareness seminars because it was beginning to become a problem with the military. And then you had the drugs starting to come in. So then they would have drug awareness seminars and everybody had to have attendance to it. It got, it got bad enough, just like in society, where they actually Let's go get counselors. And they, they remember, the Navy in Long Beach, California, came up with the very first treatment center. It wasn't the civilians. It was the Navy. And uh, so um, the Air Force came up with this outpatient thing. It was, the, it was the, uh, the alcohol outpatient counseling that run by social actions. And I remember they had highly trained counselors that were in there that I think they had a bypass test. And, and I just, I would, I would rebel against that. This guy would come up to me and he would go, I'm in, I'm in the outpatient thing and I'm the highest ranking guy in there. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm here with all these young airmen, these teenage drinkers, you know, and I'm like a real old guy at 32. And, that, and so the, this Sergeant Dollar would come up to me and he'd go, I can completely relate to how you, how you feel and drink, brother. I, you know, I used to drive a Harley and I had a little half pint tucked into my pocket and every now and then I'd, pull over and I take a little swig and my brain's going a half pint. Now we put that on cereal for breakfast in the morning. You went drink, you know, it was just, I was rebelling against everything. And the commander had to tone me down a lot of times. I said, I can teach that whole program and I'll show them exactly how to mathematically drink. And they, he said, uh, I was a little wild, but as long as he kept my career, kept it over top of me, I towed the line and I went to all the A and A classes that I was supposed to go to. And I'm here to tell you, I lasted, Exactly six months and three weeks. I would start raving sober. I'm going to AA meetings, but I'm not telling them how I'm feeling. That was, see, I got, I got locked up in the nut world on the 26th of April, 1987. My sobriety date is the 22nd of November. So I lasted for six months and three weeks, and the Air Force said, you're doing such a great job. We're going to send you out there with all the crew chiefs on a fighter mission all the way to Victorville, California, George Air Force Base. And way up on the plateau above San Bernardino and lost into Ontario Riverside. So I'm way up on a mountaintop. And the guy that was my sponsor for 28 years got sober in Bellflower. He got, he was a member of the Bellflower Big Book group in Long Beach. And Johnny was his sponsor. Clancy was the grand sponsor. He says, Oh, you're going to go out there into SoCal AA, baby. 
it's exciting out there. Yeah, I'm six months and three weeks sober. You know, it's 1987. I'm going to go to SoCal AA. And so uh, the fighter jets uh, arrived. We got our mission done. I'm supposed to go to an AA meeting. I called Bob and Gloria D down there in Long Beach. And Gloria says, Chip, says, we know your we know your sponsor. We'll set you up a breakfast plate at the uh, the Sunday morning intergroup. And I'm saying, I'm sure I'm going to come. And she says, you know, it's a long way from Victorville down to Long Beach. And I'm like, I'm willing to go to any length. You know, I can always, I'm like a parrot. I can always talk the talk. Well, when they were having the, the AA speaker breakfast, we had not only gone past me and the crew chiefs, we went past Long Beach. We hit the Pacific Coast Highway, turned north. And by the time the meeting was over, I was already drinking on the Santa Barbara Yacht Club Pier. And that's how fast alcohol took me. And the big book says, if you ask an alcoholic why he took a drink, he could no sooner tell you. I couldn't stand being sober. I was left untethered out in Southern, Southern California, and I was in charge. And there I was at six months and three weeks. I had no effective mental defense. I had not worked the steps. I had a sponsor by name. I had a big book, but I had not worked. I was playing around with the, the guillotine steps, steps one, two, and three, the cha-cha. <laughs> one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, drink. And that's what happened to me on the 19th of November, 1987. And I stopped on the 22nd of November, 1987. Why did I stop? Because I had to come back. I stayed out there drinking for three days the best I could. And those crew chiefs took care of me. See, I tried to drink like a normal person. I'm like, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to go back and drink normally. And we went to bars. Right. We went to Guadalajara's and San Bernardino. We went up there to the Big Bear. We went to Lake Silver. We went to Santa Claus's village. By God, we were taking the tour. And I'm drinking it all the day. And I'm watching them. And every time they took a drink, I took a drink. They lit a cigarette. I lit a cigarette. They went to the bathroom. I went to the bathroom. They slept. I didn't. That was the problem. I kept drinking. And they're waking up in the morning, putting their uniform on. And I am not done with my run yet. So they're trying to prop me up, clean me up, get me out on the flat line. I could have lost everything. I could have lost everything if I got caught. Let me take a little break here. We will be continuing our conversation with Chip B in just a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. And you can also find the donate button on our website if and only if the spirit moves you to use that, you can do so. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. SoberSpeak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Mr. Chippies. All right, so let's go back a little bit. So you had gotten sober. Mm-hmm. Right. You are making your way. I mean, tell me about your like first experience with the steps, working through that, your sponsor, uh, anything you want to tell me along those lines. I got, I got the, you know, the guy that was my sponsor for 28 years is the one that, uh, and he just led me down the road. I was one of these people, and, and I've met many of them in the past 32 and a half years. I just couldn't put it together as far as the disease of alcoholism in my life. I did, you know. I had this little thing and I didn't realize because I listened to the people that said the program is confined within the first 164 pages. The stories are nothing but entertainment. And I'm like, okay, I never should have listened to that because I'm sitting there thinking I'm not an alcoholic. You know, how long is this run going to last? And uh, because I had a resume that said I wasn't. 
I didn't have a resume that said I was. My arrest record was not indicative of, you know, I, I got arrested in Key West one time when I was on military leave. It wasn't my fault. It was 1975. I was a victim of circumstance. I don't care what they say. Um, and it was the only drunken arrest that I had had. And then my sponsor asked me, he said, how many did you get pulled over for? And I'm like, uh-oh, next question. The old timers would always hit you with the questions that, that see, I had on that, that uh, Michael Downey Jr. or Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man stuff. As soon as I got confronted, man, the armor just went, <coughs> it locked in. I'm like, you got a 10-foot barrier between me and the right answer. And I would give you the answers that I thought you knew. So I had a sponsor that understood that I had problems. And here's what he said, the, fact, the five magic words of Alcoholics Anonymous, if you're like me, if you're like me. And so that's what he hooked me on when I came back to Alcoholics Anonymous after that drunken three days in Victorville. He said, if you're like me and your you're, uh, you're, you're drinking didn't prove that you're an alcoholic, maybe your sobriety will. And I said, can you run that by me again? Because that ain't in the big book. He said, if your drinking didn't prove your alcoholism, maybe your sobriety will. And I said, I don't understand that. And he said, good. He said, because a lot of us, and that, see, that's what I was looking for was the us. I kept hearing all the people that were talking about the Bill Wilson hot flash, the cool breeze. You know, I said, what do you do? What do you do when you go to meetings and you want to drink? I'm just sitting in a meeting about Alcoholics and I want to drink. And this guy would go in this very uh, Billy Graham voice. Well, since the very moment I turned my will and my life over to the care of God, I never had another thought, desire, or ambition to drink again. Thank you very much. And I'm like, oh, man, I am. I, that's it. I'm done. And I go to another guy. What do you want? What do you do when you, you're, you're reading the big book and you're listening to these speaker tapes and you just want to drink? And the guy says, in the Abe Lincoln voice, well, by God, if you drank as much booze as I drank, you never want to drink again. God, you're screwed. And I'm like, yeah, I'm screwed. I just, you know, I just, I didn't know what to do. So the old timer grabbed me and he said, why don't you do what I do? And you'll find out what I found. And I said, what? And he said, do what I do and you'll get what I get. He said, you remember, it took me four and a half years to lock in and get a sobriety date. He said, then on the 21st of September, 1966, I got my final and done sobriety date. We just gave him a 53-year coin up in Crestview on the I-10 corridor, September the 21st. He's a crazy old timer. And, but he got sober when he was 28, but he came when he was 24, right? So what he did was he took me to people. He took me to people. I went to, I went to Palm Springs to, to meet Dr. Bob's son, Smitty, for one thing. He was going to be the banquet speaker. But to meet all these people that my sponsor got sober with. And he took me to meet Mac Brewster from the 502 Club in West Covina. He got sober with Mac Brewster, Waterfront Mac. And Mac... Mac would come up to me and he, and he would say, so you're having a problem with this alcohol? And, hey, I'm a year and a half sober and I'm still having problems with identification because they're saying the first step's the only one that you can work in its entirety. And I'm like, I'm dying. Mac looked at me and he said, so you're having a problem identifying. I said, yeah. I said, man, I want an I answer. I need an answer, Mac. And Mac says, Chip, if you're like me. God, I hate that when they do that. The magic five words of the old timer. If you're like me. You probably be, became an alcoholic when you quit bragging about how much booze you drank and started lying about how much you really did. And I'm like, mic drop. Mm. That is a sufficient answer. And then I listened to the other old timer get up to the podium and say, I drank just enough alcohol for the I don't give a darn life to come on. And I'm like, wow. 
And then I met Cliff Roach for the first time out there. And he says, I didn't drink for the effect. I drank for the effect eight minutes and 40 seconds into my drinking. That's when the effect hit. And I'm like, yeah, it had to stay down long enough to do that. And then a lady in my home group finally hit me and she stood up at the podium before she died in the drunken wreck at 12 years sober. And she said, alcohol gave me a license to act in an unsociable manner and excuse it off by saying, I'm sorry. I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't have been drinking. And I just started crying because that was the excuse I'd used all my life. Only when I got caught. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't have been drinking. Inwardly, it was what I always wanted to do, but I never had an excuse to do it. So these are the people that saved me over and over and over again. It was the stories and the music of Alcoholics Anonymous. So what they did was they told me their stories and they applied it to the big book. Because all I was doing was trying to study the big book. You know, if you read Bill's story, you know, written in 1930, he got sober in 34, he started writing it in whatever year he started writing the big book and they published it in 39. And I got to sit at wit's end up there and sit there at the desk at Stepping Stones that he wrote the big book on when it was in New York. And then they'd bring it to to Bedford Hills and he's sitting there writing the 12 and 12 on it. I got to sit there and realize exactly what he was doing when he was writing the big book, how he was trying to convince us, and thank God that Dr. Bob came into play, and I found my answer in Dr. Bob's story. Remember, I'm still thinking about drinking. I'm still thinking about drinking. And they let me read Dr. Bob's story. They finally, he asked me, he said, who told you the stories in the back of the book are entertainment? I said, I hear that in meetings all the time. He said, who told you that? And I'm trying to figure out who told me that. He said, go to Dr. Bob's story. You think you got a problem with alcohol when being sober? So he took me to Dr. Bob's story, and I got to the end of it, and it says, although I did not get over my craving for liquor for the first two and a half years, and I'm like, oh, my God, Dr. Bob, our co-founder, couldn't shake it for two and a half years, and I'm sitting here at a year and a half crying about it? You rock, Dr. Bob. You're my guy. So I went from being a Bill Wilson wannabe to a Dr. Bob rock-on guy. But he was my hero after that. And so I have met so many people that were afraid to say they couldn't, they couldn't put it together and they were having a problem with their alcoholism and defining it. Chris R. from Texas does it the very best. We got to qualify. We got to help them qualify asking by, by asking questions. See, when I'm new, I don't want to ask questions. I don't want, no, I don't want to bring myself out of the darkness and ask questions and search for the light. I'm waiting to hear the magic and somebody just spritz and sparkle me and bless me and I can get the message about Alex Anonymous. But the old timers and the newcomers, I remember I had a problem with acceptance and this guy had nine months sober. He was a tile layer. I'm a construction guy by trade. So the tile layer, Steve gets up there and he says, I don't have a problem with acceptance. My problem is timing. And I'm like, that's true. He said, you see, if I would accepted it 10 minutes before they caught me, I wouldn't have ended up locked up. And I understood it was the timing problem. So I had to get my timing geared up with everything else. And then on my third AA birthday, something happened. It was one of those hallmark scenes that they'd had YouTube. It could have been, it could have made the greatest hits of AA, I swear. I was standing there on the 22nd of November, 1990, at the kitchen stove and the phone rang. And it was my mom and dad wishing me happy third birthday. It was Ted Barton from Biloxi, my temporary sponsor when I went to the first Sergeant's Academy. He called me up, wanted to wish me happy third birthday. That guy, Ray M., I'm drunk, getting drunk or getting off of drunk. Ray called me up and said, hand the phone to your sponsor. I know he's there with you. 
and he knew my sponsor was going to be with me. And I looked at the dining room table, and there was my wife that I wanted to be divorced from when I sobered up. There was my three children I couldn't stand when I sobered up. There was the father-in-law and sister-in-law that I threatened to kill. And there was my sponsor and his wife. And something happened. And I don't know what it was. But I just had this moment of clarity that said, it's going to all be all right from here on. And my entire life took off from there. And I was able to really launch out on the steps. You see, if I had given up, like, like Smitty said, Dr. Dr. Smith's son, if, if I had given up five minutes before the miracle happened, I would have cashed it in. But I got to listen to the music of AA by continuing to go to speaker meetings and thank God for the people that do the recordings. Because I got sober on cassette tapes. And if you're new and uh, you're on Millennium, the cassette thing is a little plastic thing that had two little wheels. You always had to carry a pencil because you'd stretch the tape out. You know, I'm li listening to David Aronofsky. I'm listening to Albert Myers. I'm listening to all these giants, you know, Cliff Brooks, Frank Jones, my God. All these huge giants. I'm listening to the old tapes of Chuck Chamberlain. And, and uh, man, I would go to sleep with those things on the little Walkman headphones. And that's how I sobered up. I told them, I, said, I got a problem sleeping. And they said, are you listening to Norm Alpe trying to go to sleep? I said, yeah. And Norm Alpe would talk like, you know, 55 miles an hour. And they gave me this cassette. And he said, plug this in. It will help your insomnia. So I plugged it in. And it said, rarely have we seen a person fail. You know, it was, a, it was the recording of the big book. Such a monotone voice. It just rocked me to sleep. And I would say, I, I can't listen to but a page of it. And he said, good, it's doing its job. We should market that thing. So that's how I, that's how I got sober and stayed sober. So, you know, and this is the issue I always run into with guests, especially somebody who's been sober for 33 years. You know, how do you capsulize it uh, within uh, just a, a, you know, a small recording on a podcast? But I know that you have talked to me before about being 28 years sober and something happened to you, I believe, that was significant around that time. Am I right? Yeah, correct. I had just, uh, Angie and I had just gone down. We had retired. We, uh, you know, I had a military career retirement. She had a, a great retirement from the state of Alabama. Uh, once we got married, we sold some houses and we moved to the beach. And, uh, and we were living the Vita Loca. We were going on cruises to the Bahamas. We were going, we loved going to conventions. We were born, both of us are so similar. I was a son of a Navy officer. She's the son of an Army colonel. And so we understood bug out bags and having to pack up and leave in a moment's notice and leaving friends. Our whole history was intertwined together. And we were friends for 14 years. So before we got married, so we we're down in Key West for a one month party celebrating the retirement and the sale of the business. I sold my construction business after 20 years. And, uh, and I sold it to one of my family members and her partner. And, uh, so we're down there on day 28 and we're just living. We have our, we are financially set for the rest of our lives and life is good. We're going to the Anchors Away Club. She's going to Alabama. We love Old Town Key West. Uh, we would live there. That was our, our, one of our choices. It was either Destin Beach or Old Town Key West. But we have 11 grandchildren. They can't all go to Key West. So, uh, so we're sitting there on day 28 and I received an email. It was nine months after we had sold that business and we sold that business for an extraordinary amount of money. Uh, extraordinary seven figures so we're sitting there with a pension for the rest of our life coming in on that we're just living the dream doing whatever we want to do and life is good we live on a budget we have no debt 
And on day 28, we got an email that said, we quit. There'll be no more income from the business. We can't run this business anymore. We quit. Who's then we, we found out, huh? Who's we quit? Who's we? The one we sold the business, we sold the business to one of my children and her partner and they quit. They said they couldn't do it anymore. I went into instant financial insecurity. Now I had just moved to Destin. So I'm changing sponsors and changing home groups. I am interim. We had left Crestview, moving to Destin, took off and went to Key West, right? So I've got no sponsor. I'm waiting to, I was going to call this guy and ask him to be my new sponsor after we got out of Key West. This is day 28 in Key West. I got a temporary sponsor in Destin, right? John Kay. I said, can I call you while I'm down there? He said, you showed for a long time, 28 years. I said, yeah, but I, I need a phone. You know, I need, I have to be committed. I, I have to be accountable to somebody else. Um, the breakup, the, the changing sponsors is sometimes like a divorce because I, I wanted something different. There was nothing wrong with the sponsor I had, but sometimes it's like a divorce and it's painful. And so I'm, I'm going to call Jerry up and ask him to sponsor me. Well, buddy, on day 28, I read that email to Angie and I looked at Angie and I immediately shifted. I had a spiritual shift. It, you could hear the door slam shut. <clears throat> I'm instant financial insecurity. We have just lost $1.3 million of our retirement. And I'm like, what are we going to do? You know, I'm, I'm spinning like a whirling dervish. What are we going to do? 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 So I call up Jerry and I, in Jacksonville and uh, I asked Angie, I said, what do we do? And she is such a, a great ally. I mean, I met her when she was speaking. I, she's got such an amazing story. I said, what do we do? What do we do? I'm the alcoholic just going crazy. And she goes, I'll tell you what we do. We recover. That's what we do well. Let's find out how we need to recover. And I dialed the phone and I called Jerry and I said, Blah, 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 blah. Look what they did. Look what they did. I'm 1.3 million. Blah, 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 blah. And Jerry, let me go on. We're driving back from Key West two days early, a 14 hour drive. And Jerry looked at, uh, he speaks to me on the phone. He says, Chip, I've heard exactly what you're talking about. Let me ask you one question. Where's God in this entire situation you just laid out? And I said, and I'm angry. And I said, buddy, God ain't got a dang thing to do with what they just did to us. See, I pinpointed, I targeted right off the bat. He recognized all that. He's been sober a long time. He's worked at Dick M from uh, Nebraska was his sponsor, then Tom I, right? So he understands what's going on, and he knows the music to tell me. He said, let me talk to you about something. I need to talk to you about your conception of God. I'm driving the Jeep going, what the, what the hell? No, you tell me how to get out of this 1.3 mil, baby. That's what I need. He said, let's talk about God. So when I gathered my wits together, he says, Chip, he said, you remember, he says, I've known you for many years. Do you remember year 10 when you had that divorce from that wife of 20 years? And I'm like, yeah. He said, your God was strong enough to handle that with you, wasn't he? You relied upon that God. And I said, yeah. He said, when you were 32 years old, God was strong enough to get you and led you to AA. I said, yeah, that God, God was good. He said, uh, Year 24, you had a massive heart attack, the widow maker. God got you through that. I said, uh, yeah. He said, so your God at that time got you through. Year 25, you went through a terrible divorce with the uh, Boy Meets Girl on the AA campus. I said, uh, yeah, God got me through all that. And he says, Chip, do you think that you might have hit a trial or low spot? And I said, what? He said, do you, he said, it sounds to me like your God is not big enough to get you to what you just hit right now. 
And I said, what are you, you know, the, the magic question at 28 years, what are you talking about? And he said, let me ask you this. Have you failed to perfect and enlarge your concept of God? I said, you know, I'm sober. What are you talking about? I've worked with 12 steps. I've had a, a spiritual awakening as a result of this. He said, have you been running on that same God that you got sober with, that 10 years sober with, 24 years sober with, 25 years? God at that point was, your conception was strong enough to get you through those situations. But right now you hit the wall. I said, what do I do? He said, Chip, this is the magic of <laughs> Jerry. He's a retired Air Force guy. He says, Chip, are you running on God 8.0? And I said, what? He said, are you perhaps running on God 8.0? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, do you realize you can upgrade to God 10.0 at any time? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Well, what happens, and, and nobody can see, but I'm bringing out the big book. Is he hits me with this, you know, like you guys think this big book's important or something. These, go, these old guys are always taking you back to the big book. Look at all these, these footnotes that are in here, right? This is when I was a year sober looking for answers. I have not studied the big book like that in a long time. And he said, let's go to page whatever it was, 14 or 24. He says, for that the alcoholic fails to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice with others, he cannot surmount the certain trials and low spots that lie ahead. He said, Chip, I think you hit a trial and a low spot that you can't surmount. And I'm like, dang, man, what do I do? He said, let's go deeper. Let's enhance your concept of God. I'm like, you mean make God bigger? He said, no, we will uncover, discover, and discard. God's always been big enough, but for some reason you have blocked some of the layers and you cannot access the power. I'm like, man, that's heavy. And he said, if you would like, he said, we can go into some spiritual, some deeper spiritual concepts and some deeper spiritual reading, AA literature, along with other spiritual stuff. He had me reading this. He, he sent me, he didn't give me his. I had to go order my own book by God. And this is by Brother Lawrence. And I'm thinking, well, Brother Lawrence, what, he got sober? You know, maybe he was with, Paul, with, with Father Mark or something. No, Brother Lawrence was in the 1700s. He was a flipping monk, right? So I'm looking at this thing, this book by Brother Lawrence, and I'm trying to read it. And I'm like, practice of the presence of God? Oh, I know what he's trying to do. He's trying to get me closer to practicing the presence of God. I start reading this thing from the 1700s, and I call Jerry back, and I go, Man, this thing is deep. I can't grasp this comment. He said, keep reading. It gets easier. What I found out was the language doesn't get easier. But as I am spiritually challenged and growing, my acceptance and understanding of it begins to grow with it. And then I start reading stuff by, uh, is it name dropping if I give the author's name? No, that's long okay. Gone. Augmentino, the God Memorandum. Jesus, boy, did that save my life. Be aware of who your teachers are, for they will be disguised. I had all these teachers around me, and they're called alcoholics. And I'm like, oh, my God. And they're teaching me how to do things in life. They're teaching me, like that workshop that Angie and I do, finances, romances, and circumstances. I had my first sponsor do my budget for me with using envelopes when I was new. I would give him my military leave and earning statement. He said, bring your checkbook and bring your bills. And he, he would, when they, when all his clients left, he ran a tire store, we would sit there on his work table 
and I would, he'd say, write out a check for this. He'd look at my bills and he would methodically pay off, get me to pay off my bills, compound principal on this one, eliminate the interest on it. I didn't realize it was the Dave Ramsey story, total money management. I didn't realize years later I was going to marry a girl that, like me, had gone through the process of the Dave Ramsey program. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like stars are aligning here. Be aware of who your teachers are, for they will be disguised. And all that spiritual stuff started coming together like a jigsaw puzzle. Very nice. Oh, man. Well, so just to kind of wrap it up here, Mr. Chip, is there anything in particular you want to say? You know, you have people that are listening here, all, and like I said, in all four corners of the world. Um, some of them are looking for hope. Some of them are just trying to sharpen their axe a little bit. But from your experience, strength and hope, is there anything you want to close it out with? Yeah, I would, uh, I would just recommend this. There's so many people that I have found that are, uh, if you're just like me, the magic five words of Alcoholics Anonymous. Find somebody that you can relate to, uh, but hold on to somebody while you're, while you're looking. And, and, uh, and don't give up five minutes before the miracle happens. I can remember the first time I went to Dr. Bob's house. And we've been there a couple of times. And, and uh, what great tours, great friends taking us on tour. Um, and standing in the upper room. You know, back in the day when Ann Smith would say they took the man that was sponsored in up the stairs to the upper room. And Smitty would always find out whether he was on the couch or in his own room at night by what was going on in the living room. Oh, another drunk going upstairs. So, and we listened to Smitty, I don't know how many times, tell that story about when his dad and Bill would bring the drunks back home in Akron and go upstairs. And Ann said they walked up the stairs and hours later they came down and he was white as a ghost. And really what had happened was he had just received the first eight steps as we now know him in Alcoholics Anonymous. He had to be sponsored in to be able to be, go into that house, somebody had to take you up there, and they got in a circle in that upper room. And I have stood there in that circle. And they gave him what I call the AA enema. And buddy, it was serious. You had to let them know how serious you were. And you were in the middle of that circle. And that guy that sponsored you into that meeting took you down the stairs, walking outside there on Ardmore Avenue, and you started knocking on doors, making amends. And if you didn't want to do that, we ain't got time to mess with you. Nowadays, we are allowed so much confusion by so there's so much stuff that are, is going on. Don't leave five minutes before the miracle happens. Listen to what the speakers are saying and see if the magic can connect because that's how it happened for me. I didn't get that white light experience. I got the educational variety. Educational meaning laying there at nighttime listening to the big book on tape over and over again listening to all my heroes. You know, we stand on the shoulders of giants. There are giants in Alcoholics Anonymous. Some people put them on pedestals. They call them circuit speakers and stuff like that. These are the people that make me weep, whether they're Al-Anon or Alcoholics Anonymous. They will drag the tears out of my eyes. And I'd be sitting there in the front row and I'd be crying and I'd be wanting to be a warrior. You know, I uh, can't let them serve the tears. And the sponsor would look at me and he would just kind of lean over and he'd say, the eyes are the windows to the soul, and sometimes they just need washing. And then he'd lean back, and I'm like, what the hell did he mean? Years later, I'm like, that's what he meant. 
There's so much magic. Listen to the, just listen to the music of Alcoholics Anonymous and don't leave. Don't leave because your story has been granted by God to save at least one other person. With it, you have the power to save lives of countless others. The darkest past placed in God's hands is the greatest possession that you have. Thank you so much, Chip. I appreciate you coming here sharing today. I'm going to close it out with page 164 from the big book. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit. And you will surely meet some of us like me and Mr. Chip. And by the way, he is in our secret Facebook group. If you want to come in there and see him there. And he participates uh, quite a bit, which I love. Uh, you are sure to be some of us like me and Chip as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Chip B, once again, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, John. Have a blessed day. I love what Chip B said toward the end of that episode. He said, listen to the music of Alcoholics Anonymous and don't leave. Absolutely love that. Thank you, Chip B, for coming in to share your story with all of us. I know many will be blessed. And now it's time to go on to a little bit of listener feedback for you. By the way, at the end of listener feedback, to wrap up the episode today, we will have some special music by a listener named Jacob. And I'll be playing one of his songs to wrap up the episode. Uh, Be sure to listen in. The title of the track is called Tip the Bottle to My Angel. Once again, that's Tip the Bottle to My Angel. Absolutely love the song. And I'm so glad Jacob sent this music in and, uh, and I'm happy to share it with you guys. Gary Kay posted in the secret Facebook group. He said, He's quoting from the 12 and 12, and it just, for whatever reason, it, it absolutely grabbed my attention this week. And it said, by the way, this is, yes, the same Gary Kay that you have heard on this podcast, for those of you who have been listening a while, many, many times. And we're going to have him again on uh, very soon. Um, but nonetheless, he posted in the secret Facebook group uh, from the 12 and 12, page 90. And if you don't know what the 12 and 12 is by any chance or just for some reason, it is the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, It was written in the 1950s sometime. It came out after the big book was published. Nonetheless, it says, finally, finally, it didn't say it twice. I just emphasized it, but you get the idea. Finally, we begin to see that all people, including ourselves, are to some extent emotionally ill, as well as frequently wrong. And then we approach true tolerance to see what real love for our fellows actually means. It will become more and more evident as we go forward that it is pointless to become angry or to get hurt by people who, like us, are suffering from the pains of growing up. 
I'm going to read that again. Finally, we begin to see that all people, including ourselves, are to some extent emotionally ill as well as frequently wrong. And then we approach true tolerance and see what real love for our fellows actually means. It will become more and more evident as we go forward that it is pointless to become angry or to get hurt by people who, like us, are suffering from the pains of growing up. The 12 and 12, page 92. Hopefully there's somebody out there who needed to hear that today. I know that I did. Joe, J-O, not J-O-E, in Australia, post, actually, I'm sorry, she DM'd me, a direct messaged me on the Instagram. And she said, Hey, John, just wanted to thank you again, John. I just got back from a week long trip to the middle of the Australian outback. Now, is she talking about that restaurant? Is she going to that restaurant? Oh, wait a sec. It's not the restaurant. There's actually a place called the Australian Outback. For those of you who don't know, over here in the United States, I doubt they even have this place in in the uh, in Australia. But we have a restaurant called the Outback. Nonetheless, she was in the middle of the Outback, and she says I didn't have internet or phone coverage. So in the tough times, I remembered coping skills that people on your podcast talked about. Not only did these skills work, but it turned out that on a three-day trip, a lady in our group noticed I wasn't drinking and started sharing her recent decision to stop drinking altogether. We got through this and wow, let me tell you, because we didn't drink, we saw sunrises that were phenomenal and sunsets that were absolutely amazing. Without you guys with sober speak in my corner and God putting the right people in my path, I know I wouldn't be feeling as strong for the future as I do today. Thank you, John. I'm back in Sydney today and listening to you guys again. Well, Joe, That absolutely made my day. Thank you so much for sending that message. And thank you for literally letting us be with you on this journey, the journey you were taking into the Australian outback, and then also the metaphorical journey of traveling with you spiritually. But thank you so much, Joe. Pat posted in the secret, the super secret Facebook group. Oh, this was so nice. She says, when I've had a difficult day and I'm feeling hopeless, I listen to your podcast, John, and my spirit gets a little stronger. Sometimes I fall asleep before the end of the day and awaken feeling that everything will be okay. Thank you, John M. and the guests. You are pulling us up so we can keep giving. Well, Pat, right back out to you that it's a two-way street, right? 
we are both pulling each other up. And this is for sure a we program. Yeah, I'm the guy. I have a little mic right here in front of my mouth. And I can find these guests and bring them in. But it is definitely us. If I never got any feedback, right? And I didn't know what was going on with you guys out there. And I thought it was just me in a vacuum sharing this stuff. Uh, it wouldn't mean much to me or to anybody else. I'm sure glad that you that you posted that in the Facebook group. And uh, and several other people chimed in, including Maria, I love Maria, David G, my friend David G, and Jennifer Lee posted. She says, uh, I am in another program and I have a 45-minute drive each way to work. Sober Speak is there on my journey most days and it gives me so much to think about. I feel more peaceful before I start work. Thank you, John, three exclamation points with Jennifer. God bless you. And the same thing that I said to uh, Pat and all the others applies. This is a we program, and I'm glad we're in this together. Allie writes in, the alley cat. I'm sorry. She didn't say she's the alley cat. I just had to say that. My apologies. Allie writes in, and she says, good morning, John M. I'm assuming she wrote this in the morning, but... You know, it's just a guess. She says, I have been listening to your podcast since I started my recovery 20 days ago. Oh, God bless you, Allie. The stories are amazing and powerful. I just heard Brian P., the Brian P. story. And that for those of you who haven't heard it, it's called uh, Brian P., a uh, bank robber turns himself in to Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful episode. She says, I love your positive attitude and high energy as you bring us these stories of how people have changed their lives from around the world and uh, the addiction of alcoholism. Thank you so much for giving back to the community. I live in the Lakes region in New Hampshire. And I have found the most amazing and powerful group of women to help me through this journey. So grateful. Also, I would love to be part of your super secret Facebook group. Can you please uh, send a link to me? And thanks for all you do, Alley, Alley Cat in New Hampshire. Well, if, if you and the amazing group of powerful or powerful group of women that you're hanging out with up there are listening in, thank you so much, Allie. And thank you for those people, the boots on the ground, so to speak, right? The people that are face to face with us alcoholics every day, every day, not D, every day, uh, like that powerful group of women you have up there in New Hampshire. God bless you. Uh, God bless your powerful group of women. And I sure do appreciate you right, right now. Ronnie writes in, and this is not like Ronnie, R-O-N-N-I-E. This is R-O-N-I. And so I'm sorry, my mind's going off track now. This happens all the time, but I'm thinking of that song. Uh, what is it? That Eddie, Eddie Money song is just like Ronnie says, be my little baby. Now, you know, I just went into an Elvis impersonation while I was singing an Eddie Money song. It makes no sense whatsoever, but I guess that's the only singing voice I, I, I know. So anyway, Ronnie, just like Ronnie says, be my little baby. 
All right, Ronnie writes in and she says, Dear John, thank you so much for the invite into the super secret Facebook group. Well, Ronnie, you are welcome. She says, I am honored to be part of this community. And I say, Ronnie, we are honored to have you as part of this community. She says, I live in New Jersey and I just started going to Al-Anon about 10 years ago when my son left his first of several rehabs. My recovery is slow and I, and, and I participated in weekly meetings. I did not really in quotes, work the steps until I reached bottom. I now have a sponsor and I work diligently and boy, it works. If I work it, I get that Ronnie. I discovered sober speak by listening to you, John M at the recovery show. And it clicked right away. I quote, ran unquote to the store immediately. That's <laughs> ran to the store. She's talking about uh, subscribing to the podcast. She says it was, un- it was, uh, by the way, I don't know if I said this on the beginning, but if you need to subscribe, if you want to be part of the secret Facebook group, send me your email associated with Ewan's uh, secret you with your uh, Facebook account to John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com. But I digress. Back to Ronnie. She said, I enjoyed the episode with Angie B. I loved Mimi F. And to be honest, I learned so much from each and every guest of yours. Thank you for your service, generosity, and honesty. You are one of the links for my necklace that I call sanity. I've never heard that before. Let me read that again. You are one of the links for my necklace that I call sanity. So if you're off to an AA meeting or an ally meeting or any other 12-step meeting today and you want something to to, to uh, use in there a little bit different, I would go with that one. Anyway, she says, much with much gratitude, Ronnie, just like Ronnie said, be my little baby. Thank you, Ronnie. I appreciate that. And I'm going to read that again. You are one of the links for my necklace that I call sanity. Absolutely. Love it. All right. Brittany writes in. I wonder if this is a Britney Spears. I, I, I don't think so, but you know, I I'm I'm just wondering. Anyway, she says, Hi John, I'm 34 and I live in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, right outside of Louisville. As a lot of people pronounce it, Louisville, but I know it's Louisville. Anyway, Brittany says, my sobriety date is April 28th of 2010. I got sober at 23. I'm married. I have four kids. I work full time, continue meetings, and I work with others. My husband and I lead a faith based recovery meeting at our church called The Bridge. And we started it right before COVID hit. So still sort of new, right? That's great. I'm glad that you and your husband are uh, doing that kind of work. And she says, I found your podcast while at work one day. And seriously, the only recovery podcast that caught my attention and I have since shared with my husband. Well, thank you, Brittany. 
There have been so many good speakers. My memory is not the greatest, but laugh out loud. But I do remember Brenda J from a Sober Speak Live event. She was so funny and everything she said carried had so much depth. I have learned... I have learned so much from so many episodes, Brittany. Well, thank you, Brittany. And like I said, I'm so glad your husband and you are participating in that work. Ian writes in. And Ian says, hi, John, I've wanted so long to, I've wanted to thank you for so long now. I live in North Wales, United Kingdom, and my sobriety date is the 27th of January, 2019. I love your podcast, in parentheses, a labor of love, right? Question mark. Yes, it is, Ian, a labor of love. And he says, Sober Speak has played a very large part in my recovery, a place where I've been able to find understanding and wisdom. Your podcast has helped assure me of the importance of, quote, doing, unquote, the steps. Since then, I have found peace serenity, a journey of understanding that has started. And so I have a very close relationship with the God of my understanding. And that's where it commenced. I totally understand that some days you must wonder who benefits. You know that the podcast helps so many, but you don't know whom. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, it truly helped me. Oh, man. Thanks, uh, Ian. It offers support and understanding. And I look forward to Fridays to see who your choice of the week is going to be. I love the freshness of Mimi F. There's Mimi F again. And Brian P. There's Brian P again. And you have such good experience, strength, and hope shares likewise. And you got to love Reno John. Yes, I love Reno John. And I feel God performs such miracles. If you think it's a coincidence, then you're missing the perfect synchronicity, love that word, Ian, uh, of our newfound lives. We also need the education, though, with with the likes of Bill C., Gary K., and David G. Well, you certainly are a listener. And he says, I'm always going to be a fan, John. Well, I'm going to be a fan of yours, Mr. Ian. So, John, please keep it all going. You are reaching and affecting the lives of many. It's such a great service that you offer uh, the alcoholic community. God bless and in love and in service, Ian. Well, God bless you, Ian, and thank you for for contacting us. And I just I just loved your uh, email. All right. So now, as I said, we are going to wrap it up with a little musical selection by me of Mr. Jacob, and the name of this is called "Tip to the Bottle." Tip the bottle. Excuse me, to my angel. Enjoy, everybody.
This is an 